My name's Adele Onyango and welcome to another episode of Legally Clueless. No, seriously, I have no clue what I'm doing, but I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one. Hey you, welcome to episode 99 of Legally Clueless. We are one episode away from 100 and I'm so excited. I'll tell you what to expect with that special episode in a bit. But if this is your first time listening to the podcast, make sure you join our Insta fam. You can find us at Legally Clueless Podcast. And then if you want to chit chat about the podcast on Twitter, use the hashtag Legally Clueless. I always leave out Facebook though. (laughs) And I get so much love there. I I really do appreciate the people showing the podcast podcast love on the Facebook page which is Legally Clueless podcast Legally Clueless Legally Clueless (laughs) I'll show you Facebook I love you guys (laughs) ignore my scatterbrainedness I had such a long day yesterday but I will tell you all about it in a bit I'm really excited about this episode because the story featured is by a friend of mine who's South African his name is Lebo and I met him in Accra (laughs) in Ghana. And we had such a good time. I think we met each other on the first day of my trip and we had such amazing milestones together. Well, I wouldn't call them milestones. What did I say? Experiences together. We experienced going to historical sites in Accra together. We experienced partying (laughs) right before his flight. Oh my God. By the beach where we met another South African just randomly. Ugh. It was good times. So his story is, man, it's so, so powerful. Listen to this. My name is Lebu. I'm from Bloemfontein. My first year out of high school, I went to go do civil engineering, which sucked. That was then when I dropped out. So I worked in a call center until I got fired. That was the first business. It failed. So in South Africa, students were fighting for free education. So we started a hashtag called hashtag Fismas for. They brought in some security, brought in police. We were shot at, you know, when you are, from university you went to good schools and you start selling fruits and veg you know in the streets when i arrived in Joburg, i didn't know anyone i didn't know i was gonna sleep what happened was i got kicked out at 10 o'clock at the went to the place i gave him money for rent to my surprise the guy didn't pay rent and then we got kicked out again when i said i'm gonna sell groceries online people thought that i was crazy but today they're not done and they need to buy their stuff now this is in Posa. what it actually means it says you are because of other people yep so that's label story and it's coming up a little later in this episode i do hope that you're having a fantastic end to January. Yeah, it is. And in fact, look at me forgetting something so important. (laughs) End of this week on the 5th of February. That's my birthday. I'm so happy. I'm in a place of gratitude, in a place of really appreciating the people in my life. As much as we can't go out much and like travel very easily, I think I'm in a space where the (laughs) COVID-imposed celebrations are what I would have done even if we weren't in the middle of a pandemic. So I'm going to have my family over for dinner on Friday. Actually, on Thursday, I'm going for dinner with my partner and his parents. And then Friday, I'm going to have my sisters and their partner and my niece over for dinner, which is so exciting. And then Saturday into Sunday, the weekend, I'm having a slumber party. (laughs) 
slumber party with my two girlfriends, Val, who's been on the podcast before, and Seba. Seba actually has shared the story on the podcast before, so it's just going to be fun times with the girls. Val is away that weekend, which is great, because even if he wasn't traveling, <laughs> I'd have told him, please, <laughs> get out of here. <laughs> oh my God. So yeah, Friday. 5th February is my birthday and I'm super excited to turn 32. Another thing that I'm excited about, which is about a week away, on the 8th of February, the 100th Legally Clueless episode goes out. Mm -mm -mm. I'm so proud. I'm so proud. I'm so proud of myself. And I'm so happy. I'm so thankful to you. Like, 100 episodes. Is that... What? <laughs> We've done this for a hundred weeks. So disclaimer, those who think that this is the last, like the hundredth episode is going to be the last episode of the podcast. It is not. Please. No, <laughs> it's not that. That's fake news. <laughs> I don't know from where. Why I was saying I had such a long day yesterday is yesterday we were filming the special edition of the hundredth episode. And that's going to be premiering on 8th of February. All right, so you will have your normal 100th episode. I see normal. <laughs> Ain't nothing normal about 100. No, you have your normal audio episode. And this is going to be the first time we have a video episode. And it is so wonderful. So it's going to premiere on the 8th of February on my YouTube page, on my Facebook page, and on my Instagram TV. I'm going to put links to all of those pages in the description of this episode so that you can go follow, like, subscribe. So come the 8th of February, you don't miss out on the magic we created yesterday. I am so proud of what we did. It came out looking exactly the way I wanted it in my head. I worked with such an amazing team. My good friend Roy, who <laughs> we've known each other for over 10 years, and he's amazing when it comes to all things video. He, <sighs> I haven't seen the final cut, but I'm very confident in his work. And I was co-producing <laughs> over his shoulder. And it just looks so wonderful. <sighs> and then there is Sitea and her team who just built the sets that I wanted. Like she completely got the vision that, okay, that Roy came up with. <laughs> and I approved. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it looks so good. It just looks so good. I cannot wait for you to see it. And you know why I'm also so proud, especially about this 100th episode being a special edition, is this is mine. This podcast is mine. It's my business. It's my baby. I have autonomy over the creative direction, over who I want to work with. And I've never had that. I've been a an employee for, <laughs> wow, 10 years. <laughs> So, you know, like trying to push for approvals. And then I was an employee in organizations that didn't value the ideas their employees were bringing to the table. They didn't say, hey, actually, that's a really good idea. Let's work on implementing it. No, never worked in any organization like that. Where I worked, you would pitch your idea and it would either get shelved, never to see the light of day, or it would get stripped so badly, like because people are trying to cut costs or cut corners when it comes to work, that by the time it's executed, it looks nothing like <laughs> the idea you had. <laughs> so it feels so good to have my idea like come to life exactly the way I wanted it to look. 
And I'm also proud because the podcast paid for it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like Legally Clueless actually reinvested in itself and in this milestone that is the 100th episode. And it didn't have to come from my pocket per se. <laughs> I'm just like, wow, look at you growing up, <laughs> paying your old bills, adulting. <laughs> Oh, my word. Yeah, so links to my YouTube, my Facebook, my Instagram are in the description of this episode. Do the necessary so that 8th of February, you join in on the 100th episode celebrations and you get to see the amazing stuff that we have created. All right, let's jump into the song of the week. Ah, I love this song so much because first, I love Laura Mvula. I got to see her live in concert in 2017 in Joburg during Afropunk and oh this woman is amazing she's so amazing she's so cool so the name of the song is Sing to the Moon and I really love it because I'm in a space where I'm really just acknowledging nature acknowledging the things around us that are so magical and that just happen almost automatically like two days ago is it two days ago? Well, this past week on Wednesday and on Thursday, I had to go into CBD, which is normally just stressful whenever I'm needed to go into town. I'm just like, oh my God, Nairobi town is hectic. But this time around, I was trying, because I'm trying to be a bit more present, I noticed like we had two days of a perfect blue sky, like not one speck. It was like magnificently blue. Even today, it's magnificently blue, but it's not like just a sea of blue like it was on Wednesday and Thursday. And I, I feel like that was such a blessing. It was so beautiful. And it also reminded me of back when I was hosting a breakfast show and we used to have to, well, Fal used to drop me to work. And it would be like 5 a.m. on our way to work. Sunrise is happening. Before I resigned, I never even used to notice the sunrise. After I resigned and my heart was at peace and I was just like going through the motions, serving my notice. There was one morning I noticed that the sky was pink, like the prettiest shade of pink I've ever seen. It was so magical. And I was telling Fal, oh my God, like what the hell is that? And he was like, but it's like this almost every day. <laughs> So sometimes we don't acknowledge the magic that's happening around us. And I find nature to be the most magical thing ever. And we need to like celebrate it more, love it more, take care of it, acknowledge it. The song might not even be anything to do with 100% nature. I think it's more motivational and it's more uplifting. But the chorus when she's saying... You know, she mentions the moon and things like that. For me, that's where I met it, where I'm like, yeah, just acknowledge that there's so much magic around us. And then the 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 instruments in this song, ah, oh, so beautiful. I'll put a link to it in the description of this episode. Please check it out. On to 100 African stories. As I told you earlier, the story is by Libo, who is from South Africa. And it's a story about resilience, entrepreneurship, and following your gut, your calling, and your passion. A hundred African stories on Legally Clueless. Stories from Africa. Hi, my name is Lebu from Johannesburg. Well, no, I'm not from Johannesburg. I'm from Bloemfontein in South Africa. Bloemfontein is one of the capital cities of South Africa. I grew up, I basically grew up in, in, in Bloemfontein and 
and moved to Johannesburg uh, four years ago in 2017 to pursue a dream, right? And just to give you a little bit of background of who Lebu is, uh, Lebu, as I said, I'm from Bloemfontein. It's a small town, but a capital city of South Africa. My childhood, I grew up with, I was raised by my grandmother uh, and my grandfather. My parents divorced when I was in grade two. So I had to stay with my grandparents so that uh, when my mother was still trying to find her feet. I think that was a very important part of my life because had we had we stayed with my mother after divorce, I think it could have been a very traumatic experience as she went through a divorce, as we know that how divorce plays out. My grandparents gave us a, a very good value-based environment where they, they, they taught us everything that we needed to know and we went to school. We lived with all cousins, so there was a very, it, it was a very united uh, environment where I understood that, that, that the importance of family, the importance of getting to know each other's strength and helping each other in that, in that situation. So there's a South African proverb that we use a lot, which is called Ubuntu. From that itself, I learned the power of Ubuntu because my grandfather, he was a priest, a Methodist church priest. So he used to take in everyone to come stay with us. So it was a very good environment and shaped who I am and how I interact with the world. I went to grade one at a school named Greenberg Primary School. So South Africa is a very, it's a very complex country. Uh, it's a very young democracy. So it was a school, a white school where our my friends were white. We started going to schools with them and you started seeing a lot of things and how you interact with them. So there's always that superior, inferior type of thing that goes on. But luckily, because of the household that I come from, it was an interesting thing for me because uh, if you'd see a lot of people that come from, a lot of kids that come from the townships, they used to portray that inferiority complex. I think I managed because we stayed in a suburb. That really helped me with, 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 with realizing that they are just people, right? So that was an interesting part of my, of my life. And I went to high school, I graduated, went to high school at Nemosa High School. I finished my matric in 2011. From there, you start to, as I connect the dots to my life, I started to realize that I'm actually a very, I have a very rebellious, rebellious nature, a rebellious character, but there's always a thing, you know, there's a, a rebel with a cause, or you're just a rebel who's just very disruptive and not adding anything to society. That was contributed a lot by the environment that I grew up in, right? We, we were the only blacks in, in, a, in, a, in a white suburb at the time. I think we arrived in 1996. South Africa just got its it democracy in 1994. In 1996, here we are in a white suburb. We are the only black people in, in, in the suburb and making friends with white people was quite a very difficult one. But eventually we made friends because kids don't see color. It's just the thing that's taught. Yeah, but but I think what was interesting for me was that I learned a lot of resilience and I learned a lot of finding ways to, to develop self and finding ways to speak to my confidence. And that was an important thing. And as my grandparents taught us, my grandmother was a teacher. And as I said, my grandfather was a, was a pastor. So the one important thing that they taught us was education is important and the environment that they created for us was a very was an environment that forced us to learn and if you don't learn it's going to be difficult for you to to do anything in, in, in 
in this life and if you can't use your mind you'll be handicapped right you won't be able to think for yourself you won't be able to do things for yourself because you'll always be dependent on someone you'll always be dependent on a system or dependent on getting this and this i realized that even in varsity how i i started awakening my entrepreneurship abilities it was because of in primary i started selling we started selling sweets it's like every everyone has every entrepreneur seems to have that story of selling sweets but yeah that is true i sold sweets as well and from there i went to high school i started selling tupperware so there's this uh, lunch boxes or homeware right that you sell and i used to sell it to my teachers and at the time it wasn't popular for you to be selling stuff i mean like kids are having fun they they doing whatever that kids want to do at that age and here i am i'm selling stuff it it, it really built up that thing of the, the leadership in me the mere fact that i was also good in my grades it also helped me because i didn't care what people thought of me or what people think and being under the the pressures of being a teenager that comes with you are expected to be smoking learning how to smoke at the time you are expected to do all those type of stuff but i found other avenues to to to, to live my life and i found selling was an interesting hobby for me and it really it really became a part of me till i finished high school my first year out of high school i went to go do civil engineering which sucked i didn't like it at all i left engineering school i i stayed at home and i opened a soccer team how i got into civil engineering was that you know when you are in high school the subjects that you choose always dictate what career you are going to choose so i mean like in varsity you'd look at uh, careers in science you'd look at careers in commerce but because i didn't do any commerce subjects in high school i did science i did physical science i did mathematics and i did life science and i thought oh okay because i have uh, science subjects i think my path is going to directly go to the science world you know which is engineering but uh here's an interesting part i didn't want to be an engineer i didn't want to go to engineering what i wanted to do was i wanted to go into medicine but my marks were not that good and i had to stop and i had to look for other avenues and engineering was the only thing that i could think of and that's how i ended up in engineering i really felt it you know you know how you feel that uh, this is not it this is not for you it was at that point when i was like okay i'm going to stop and just re rethink my life and refigure what am i going to do that was then when i dropped out i told my mother that i'm dropping out because i was starting to become a very corrupt guy not attending classes my mother dropped out of social social work uh yeah social social science because she wanted to be a social worker and she left teaching and she went into social work and she dropped out right because she she met my father and she fell pregnant and then she decided that she's lazy to go back to school and that's how we were raised so i think my mother always had a thing with her that allow your children to do whatever they want and allow them to make uh, decisions for them for, for themselves right of course uh, the mere fact that there's money that have been spent it was a difficult thing for her to accept I had to provide alternatives of what am I going to do next which was a very difficult thing because at the time I was really confused and I was straight out of high school my friends are doing what they love people that I went to high school are doing what they love and there are some who are not even in varsity I left varsity I stayed at home I opened a soccer team like I said and with the soccer team I think one of the things that I learned was coming back from the thought of me living in an environment where I had a lot of cousins we stayed together being able to be there for other people right so in South Africa we have 
especially in townships, right? Townships are urban settlements, if I can call it. Uh, I don't know what you call them in Kenya, but so in townships, it's where there's only black people that stay there. Infrastructures are not that great. There's not a lot of resources. And I saw a need because a lot of kids were getting into drugs. A lot of kids were getting into into into, into wrong stuff, gangsterism and all those stuff. That was very attractive in townships at the time. And I was like, okay, cool. Let me open a soccer team so that I can save the youth. Yeah, it was an interesting thing. I had boys from 10 years until 18 years that were trained by me. And I was only 19 years and I'm a coach. Right. So because I knew I knew soccer and I've always been playing soccer all my life, but a football career was not sustainable as our parents would tell us that focus on your education instead. And I formed the relationship with their parents. I formed the relationship with them as well. Even some of them today, they still call me coach. And I started looking for a job because I was like, I need to be sustainable, right? Because uh, staying at home the whole day and just waiting for four o'clock for the kids to come back from school and me going back to the field and go train them was just a waste of brains. I went to go look for a job. So I worked in a very, it was the worst job, my worst job ever. So I worked in a call center. It was an insurance call center. So I worked eight to eight until I got fired. And I got fired because of, they gave us wrong leads, cold leads, and they expected us to turn them into warm leads. And it was very difficult because for the product that we were selling, you are selling to people that don't understand or even can't speak English. So it was very difficult for me. And then I rebelled against that system. And I think my political career started happening now. I started reading a lot of politics. I started going into understanding how the world works, especially from a workplace environment. That's where you start to understand, oh, this is how the world works, actually. And I started looking at other avenues. And then I was like, I actually don't think that I want to work for anyone. I, I started a company called the Black Pencil Group. Before going back to varsity, I started a company called the Black Pencil Group because at the time in South Africa, there were, the government was speaking a lot about entrepreneurship, that young people should go into entrepreneurship and stuff like that. And my thinking was that if we are told that on, 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 on a political level, on a slogan level, that go into, go into business and do this and do this, but there's not enough resources or there's not enough uh, sufficient information for people to understand what does it mean to go into business, right? I just knew selling. I didn't know the principles of business. I didn't know how to go about it. But from me being inquisitive and trying to understand what business is, I made relationship with people from Joburg. And that time there was a lot of seminars going on. And I was like, I'm going to offer uh, workshops, create like a platform where, where young people can come and learn, hear all about business and if they go into certain industries, what do they need and how would they go about that? So that was that was the first business. It failed, <laughs> as, as, as it happens with many businesses. I failed because uh, I was always scared, especially looking at going into a formal business and really practicing business without me just being a seller of stuff, right? And I think one of the most things that opened my eyes was partnership, right? I learned a lot from that business that if you're not aligned with people that you say that you're going to work with, the vision gets blurred. You somehow lose a sense of purpose and a sense of why you are doing it in the first place because the one person would want to put this idea and you want to put this idea and it loses direction because now it's like marriage, right? You know in your marriage that this other party brings this, you bring this to the table and we have a, we have a united uh, vision and we can take it forward. So that was the problem with me. We, we were not aligned. What was interesting for me when it failed 
I was speaking to people that were really interested in my vision, that were really interested in what I'm about, and they were interested in me as a person. When the when the business died, I had already I was already thinking about something else that I'm gonna start because you could literally see that this thing is going to fail. You need to think about something very quickly. I went to do a short course in marketing at at, at a college, and I was like, ah, I'm not. I'm really about business. And at the time, I was young. I was in my early 20s and you know i was full of zeal i'm still full of zeal but i was very hungry i was hungry for for, for this business thing i was running around traveling to johannesburg i remember one time we traveled to durban from bloemfontein i only had like 50 rand i don't know how much would it be in your currency but 50 rand is literally nothing it just buys you like a coke and a pie i had 50 rand and a bus ticket to 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 durban and from Durban, we started writing proposals. When I when I got there, me and my friends, we started writing proposals to go speak to schools and just on a motivational level. And we started motivating schools and we made like 12,000 rand. And from there, I traveled to Johannesburg to attend some seminar. You know, I was crazy, man. Like I was, I was, I was doing things that uh, you could never imagine. And from there, I went back to Bloemfontein again. I started thinking now about my future seriously. And these people that I met, this guy that I met, Kevin uh, Shinane, he really changed my life, man. Because he really questioned me from a place of the things that I do. Do they make sense? Do they have purpose? Was there a thought process in whatever I'm doing? Especially us as entrepreneurs, right? We do things from a gut, you know. I feel like doing this and I feel like it's going to work out. But we don't necessarily look into the into the details. So we're just excited about having our businesses up there. But there's a lot of things that go into the business then what we think. Yeah, that's how I started changing my approach. From there, I went back to varsity. And from varsity, I said, pause with business. Let me not engage business anymore. But I started getting into politics, student politics. I got the name leadership because I was very vocal in our community. I was very vocal on political issues. I feel like we need to keep leaders accountable, right? I remember, I think it was in 2016, early 2016. So I don't know if you if you are aware of this. So in South Africa, students were fighting for free education. So we started a hashtag called, uh, which started in UCT, and then it went on to Vets University. And from Vets University, it spread out the whole country in all universities, right? Fees must fall. Hashtag fees must fall. So every province, every university shut down universities. It was a national shutdown. And at the point, we were really fighting against structures that have been there for years. They brought in some security, brought in police. We were shot at, you know, with uh, stun grenades, rubber bullets. I remember one time, we challenged the system again where we say the statues of apartheid heroes need to be removed on campuses, right? Because they symbolize oppression and they symbolize suppression of students. We didn't want to engage in that. And I remember at some point, uh, a friend of mine was taking off, were taking off the statues. And then at some point, uh, the police were there shooting us. And there was another incident that was hectic. Eh, that was a hectic issue. There was a rugby game play, playing. And rugby, obviously, in South Africa, it's, it's, it's very white dominated. And we were like, how come their lives are carrying on as normal? And we are here striking for fees and striking for to stop insourcing of workers. And at that point, the rugby players and their fathers came in and they beat us up. And it was at that point where I said to myself, I need to choose what I really want in my life. I started a business. I started selling fruit and veg in the streets of Bloemfontein. And you know, when you are from... 
university, you went to good schools, and you start selling fruits and veg you know, in the streets. A lot of your peers that studied with you, who thought that you'd be somewhere in offices or doing all those kind of stuff, they look at you with those eyes that, why are you selling fruits? You know, some of, some of them are even embarrassed to, to greet you and do that. But it was at that point where I learned a lot about myself that it really doesn't matter what people think. What matters is what I have in my mind and the vision that I have for myself. I took it as a real business because uh, a lot of people that are selling food and probably in, 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 in Kenya, you guys have marketplaces where you know where you buy your fruits and veg in the streets and stuff like that. But for me, the important lesson there was that I come from a tertiary institution and I've been taught. There are certain things that I've been taught and I've been trained. So why can't I just apply the stuff that I've been taught and use them in my business? And then I started using the things that I that, that, that I learned in, in university, in my business. I started distinguishing the business itself from the other people that are selling the same stuff as us. We gained traction, we made good money, and but it was at a point where I was like, I want to grow this business now and move it from informal business to a formal business. And then that's when I started thinking about how am I going to do that? Because shopping malls in South Africa, you can get like your supermarket, but it's expensive for you to get that, you know. I don't have the rent to pay that. Uh, there's no funding available for us. And then that's when I started looking at avenues like Facebook and starting an um, online page and started even selling on Facebook, right, and just delivering from my market to students because I started it as a student business and I was like, okay, cool. If we went through Fismas 4, I can imagine there are a lot of students that don't even have food, can't afford to buy food for the whole month. How do we make it cheaper? And it was at that point I started Smart Essentials, now registering it as a business. But because uh, Bloemfontein is a very small place and it's, uh, most of its economy comes from it's either you work in government or you are a student, right? And that those are that that's where the money is. And then you start to realize that when students go back to their homes or go back to their places outside Bloemfontein, that's when the money goes out of Bloemfontein and then there's no money at all. And then I started making adverts, Facebook ads in Johannesburg. So now I was plotting my move to Joburg. And at the time when I was doing that, I was, yeah, I was advertising in Joburg just to see if there's traction. There actually was traction and a lot of people were asking me, do you deliver in Joburg? Where? What time? And then that's where I started making informed decisions, right? Because as much as one would say, I took a jump, I took a risk, I went to Johannesburg, I just arrived there not knowing what am I going to do or whatever. But I made an informed decision that my business, my business was the biggest purpose for me to get to, 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 to Joburg because I've always wanted to come to Joburg. You know, it's a big city. There's a lot of things that are happening there. There's the youth, that they have a voice and influence over things. And I got to Joburg. When I arrived in Joburg, I didn't know anyone. I didn't know where I was going to sleep. When I arrived here, I arrived at Park Station. I arrived at the bus. Park Station It's a bus station where everyone just comes that's the drop off place but i didn't know where i was gonna sleep i arrived at seven o'clock in the morning and i started making calls when i arrived i made calls in Bloemfontein from friends that know people in johannesburg that we studied together and i was like yo man uh do you know anyone around joburg that can help me with accommodation a friend of mine referred, referred me to their friend and the friend came got me at park station and we went to soweto deep Kloof. and when we arrived in deep Kloof, so he started showing me around. After showing me around, showing me the place, what happened was I got kicked out at 10 o'clock, Adele, you know? I got kicked out at 10 o'clock in the evening. I just arrived, man. 
And I'm like, dude, I don't look like a rough guy. I don't look like a guy who's a gangster. You know, I have a cute face. Why would you kick me, kick me out? And that's why I saw the reality of life. No one really cares. The guy, luckily, had another place in Katlehong. And then we, we traveled to Katlehong at 11 o'clock. And we walked the distance from where we got off the taxi to where we were going. It was quite a distance. And I, it was at that point where I was like, what am I really doing? You know, what is this thing that keeps on getting me to such situations in my life? Because there's a pattern in my life. And I can literally see it, right? From me dropping out of civil and starting a soccer team, going to work and just leaving work. Like there's just that thing that always drives me. And I got to Katlehong and then from there, went to the place. I gave him money for rent. To my surprise, the guy didn't pay rent. And then we got kicked out again. I don't know, in South Africa, we call it Madais. So the guy gambled with my money and then he didn't pay rent. And I was left stranded again. We had to sleep somewhere else in some dodgy places. And it was at that point again where I had to make calls. I made calls to some of the people that I know that work in Joburg. One guy gave me a place to sleep and I got an internship at Digify Africa. So my, my business was incubated in a program there. I won, I won the program. I got a years of incubation space, office space. And I still don't have a job. I still don't have money. Uh, but I'm still here, right? I'm still going, regardless of what's happening, I'm still going. I started selling, I started getting clients here and there, you know, make some money, started getting my own place, a room in the city of Joburg. I, I got to breathe, man, you know, I got to breathe. There's one thing, you trying to get your life together, and here you're still struggling with basics, right? Struggling to get a place to stay, struggling where you're going to put your head. And knowing the streets of Tobit, it can get very rough. It really put me at a position where I was like, you know what? This is it. This is why I'm here. You know, I fought. If I managed to escape all those things that happened in my life, getting kicked out twice in the city of Joburg without knowing anyone, and I'm still breathing today. It gave me that confidence to say that they would don't stop. And this is how far this idea that I had from selling fruit and veg in the streets to now it being a business that has people buying in the city of Joburg. For me, that was a big thing. And I slept on a mattress for a whole year. I didn't have a bed, but I had a mattress to sleep on. But my mother was also helping me financially so I can pay rent because I mean, like, I was not making that much money at the time because uh, I was really testing out the model, whether it works or not, and trying to figure out how can I grow this thing. And business is tough. It's tough because it's worth it as well. I don't think anyone can do it. It really needs guts. You need to let go of what you think you are and start tapping into who you really are. The first thing for me that validated that uh, what I'm doing really makes sense was when I got a client, my first client, having to deliver the stuff to them personally and seeing them happy. That really that really meant a lot and it really it really put things into perspective that this is the way to go. And at the time, it was in 2017, we're not in lockdown, we're not in a pandemic, so people were very skeptical of buying things online. So it was very difficult, right? But getting just that one client and the client became a repeat client still with me today it validated everything you know because there's a lot of voices there's a voice that says why are you doing this when you should have just carried on with your studies and go work for an investment bank or go work at the bank or some financial uh, space but yeah it really put things into perspective getting that one client and also getting our first funding and yeah that was 
that was cool. That was really cool. I started feeling like a rock star and started feeling like I'm, a, I'm in the movies and I'm like, I'm really doing it. So Smart Essentials, I've been doing it for the past, uh, for the past four years. Last year during the pen, when, when, when the pandemic hit us and there was a lockdown, uh, obviously my clients are business to business, which are office spaces. And it meant that they had to close down because they were working from home. So it meant that I had to decrease on, on a lot of stuff and let go of a few people that were working with us. At that point, uh, my revenue was affected my cash flow was affected and me and a friend of mine have been talking about writing a book so we wrote an ebook on e-commerce in the context of southern africa where we really break it down what e-commerce is because of smart essentials being the case study right from that we started developing because everyone was working at home and businesses were closed and most businesses were traditional right and they were not necessarily selling online. And that's where we saw an opportunity to say that we need to give trainings. We need to teach them how to sell online, how to open their online stores. If they have businesses, then it's great. They're just automating their processes. That's what happened. We we started the business, the Three Think Africa. And then we started the business from that. We started training people from last year, June. And yeah, people started coming to our workshops. And we started doing business with uh, the likes of the Karakama Shell Foundation. We started doing work with... IBM, we started doing work with Simulu Home. So we started doing work with Sasol. That was also a validation of what we're doing is really a need. From from that time till today, we are still going with the business. This past weekend we had a workshop. So we have workshops every week, every weekend, while my grocery business is also functional as well. So yeah, I find myself in a very interesting time now. Uh, looking back at my life, when I said I'm going to sell groceries online, people thought that I was crazy, but today they're in lockdown and they need to buy their stuff and someone needs to deliver it and here I am. Because I mean, like if you look at uh, what's happening in Africa now, there's the African Continental Free Trade Agreement. I don't know if you are aware of it. My thinking is that for us to make that work, we need to understand how we are going to work together first because this is not the first time that we've been presented with some idea that's going to help us as Africans work together, right? We've been calling for United Africa. We have the African Union that's there, but we've never seen enough work being done, right? So we as the youth, I feel like, and I believe that if we can really understand the ecosystems that we find ourselves, the industries that we find ourselves, and how we can lock them down and create a process that if if I'm in Kenya, I know that I have Adele, I have this person, we can work together and create that collaboration. I think we can really go far. And imagine what we can do here in Africa, man. I feel like we have we have the brightest minds. Man. You saw when we were in Ghana. We have really, really, really smart people. But the thing is, we have these borders and we are fighting over petty stuff. We, we fight over languages. We fight over who speaks French, who speaks English. We fight over uh, religious stuff, you know, and those, those things are pulling us back. Look, man, these things are secondary. There was something that I read today that, you know what? We, we black people are very powerful and we have knowledge embodied in us, right? You are able to, to speak your language and you are able to understand a lot of things in your language and you are also still able to adapt to a different language that's not yours and still excel in that language. I mean, like going to university, dude, I'm Soto, right? Soto is another clan. I'm Soto, I speak Soto, but the mere fact that I got to university to speak to my white lectures in their language and still pass my modules in their language, but they can't say hello in my language 
says a lot about who we are. You know what I mean? So and we need to we need to really understand who we are as black people. I'm really for I'm really for black people. For me, uh, it's it's Ubuntu, right? Like I mentioned it, Ubuntu. It's a philosophy. It's a philosophy. It's a South African philosophy. It says Umtu Ubuntu ngabantu. Now this is in Kosa. Umtu Ubuntu ngabantu. What it actually means, it says, uh, you are because of other people. I can't do it alone. I can't do it alone. Adele can't do it alone. But for us to realize that dream, we need each other. Catch more African stories in the next episode of Legally Clueless. Oh my God, I really enjoyed that story. And I love how whenever I'm recording stories at the beginning, I never know where the story is going to go. And at the end, I've learned so much. I've connected with so much. It's it's just so powerful. I loved when he talked about selling stuff in school. I did the same. <laughs> with bookmarks so he was selling sweets in primary school i was selling bookmarks i also love the part where he talked about marriage like he likened business to marriage and i do that all the time with people sometimes people get it sometimes they don't where i feel like just because you love somebody that's not reason enough to get married to them marriage is a partnership so approach it the same way you would going into business with somebody you love perhaps or not i don't know or somebody you care about. So you're looking for other strengths they may have. You're looking at their value system. You're looking at some other characteristics about them. You want to have a deeper awareness of who this person is, what their weaknesses are, what's their mission and and their vision, and is it aligned with yours? It really is a partnership. And like, for example, running the home and running the cost to whatever you want your future kind of to look like is really like running an organization. Like your home has costs, there are overheads. <laughs> There might be employees, like maybe if you have people coming in to help you do certain things. So I always tell people, love is not a reason to get married. It's great if it's there, but it's not the only thing that's needed. So when he said that, I was just like, oh my God, I always say this and it makes marriage so not sexy, but I don't think, <laughs> I don't think it's, it's meant to be sexy. It's, it's, it's like a partnership. Oh, and then I also loved when he talked about Ubuntu. Oh, because weirdly enough, one of my favorite quotes is from Desmond Tutu. And it's to the effect of my humanity is bound up in yours because we can only be human together. I always found those words so intriguing and I always carry them with me. I didn't know it was stemming from the Ubuntu philosophy. I, I just loved that he brought that up as well. So do remember, you too can share your story in an episode of the podcast. All you have to do is send a one minute story demo to the hotline number, which is plus two five four seven six eight six two eight seven nine zero. You can also send any audio notes reacting to something you've heard on the podcast or something you've connected with just anything you want to share that has been sparked by one of the episodes just record an audio note and send that to the hotline hi Adele so I really like the podcast so far since episode 1 to 98 and 98 has really resonated with me and I'm just praying for love and light for that person that shared that story that has been part of it has been my story too and i'm just happy that she's able to talk about it it's always hard having to talk about something because you relieve it but it's also a step forward in your healing and from that story many of us who've gone through 
similar more or less similar situations it is a step for us too she has done this for us for herself and for her well-being and she has no idea what an impact she has made in my life thank you so much for sending through that voice note i absolutely agree with you and we actually just had like a brief conversation about it with my eldest sister and marie there's so many similarities and i also just get shocked at how when it comes to domestic violence we don't address the effects it has on the household on the kids we sweep that under the rug and i actually saw on instagram one person the first person i ever blocked on the podcast instagram page they didn't listen to the entire episode they only listened to a clip of the story and then they started saying how people should be grateful to their parents there was like tons of bible verses and i always find it so strange how sometimes people justify trauma and wrong things using religion it's 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 so ironic it's so strange to me but quite a few people identified with Miriam's story and i too shared that gratitude that she was vulnerable enough to share that story with us speaking of stories plural that is a cl- i am giving you a sweat expect in their 100th episode <laughs> look at me being not so subtle remember to check out the links to my youtube facebook instagram in the description of this episode so that when our special edition 100th episode premieres on monday the 8th of february you can watch the visuals that go hand in hand with the episodes the first time we've ever done visuals they look so good and i know you're going to enjoy it so make sure you subscribe like follow do what you must so that you don't miss that premiere also remember to catch this podcast on trace radio every monday wednesday and friday at 9 a.m and at 8 p.m that's it for this episode of legally clueless you can share this podcast with your friends you can keep it for yourself i'm not judging just make sure you're here next week for the next episode